Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new comics on sale December 23rd, 2020. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. Tucker, happy holidays, my friend! Hey, same to you, same to you. Thank you. So with the holidays in full swing at this point, we wanted to let everybody know a little bit of something that we're doing over the next couple of episodes, because we want to make sure everybody can celebrate the holidays, get a little time off. We're doing a little bit of a like a remix type of thing. We're going to keep giving you brand new episodes of Marvel's pull list over the next few weeks, talking about all the new comics that are out, telling you why you got to pick them up, telling you what we're so excited about, giving you our picks and all the pulleys we can dish out. But instead of brand new reading clubs, we're going to um, give you guys some of our favorite reading clubs as like a little bit of a rerun. We picked three really good ones that are especially relevant to everybody's interest right now. And especially now that we're on Sirius XM, we've got a whole bunch of new people who are joining us. We want to shine a light on some of these. And the first one that we're going to be doing is a little story called Secret Invasion. Ooh, ah. Mm, ah. So um, <laughs> we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that after we get through the brand new books and all that stuff. You know what, Tucker, since you're now all caught up on Senor Mandalorian. That's right. Did you also catch all the Star Wars news coming out of Investor Day? I did. That got my heart racing a couple times that night. It was really crazy. But yeah, the Star Wars stuff is super exciting. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like what I'm most excited about because there's so many cool things. You know, all the Marvel stuff is amazing. We talked about that on This Week in Marvel, if anybody wants to listen about that. But the Star Wars stuff, especially because we talk about a lot of Star Wars comics on this show, I just think of all the possibilities that we'll Mm -hmm. get into for time periods and characters and different things. And there's going to be an Ahsoka show and like just so much cool stuff. Hayden Christensen coming back as Darth Vader. Wow. Yeah. The Acolyte show is one that I'm super excited about. Very, very curious to hear what that's going to be about. Yeah, I mean, what a crazy night. Yeah, and look, Patty Jenkins, Rogue Squadron. Come on, come on. uh, It's very exciting. We're going to talk about some Star Wars comics in just a little bit, but let's dive into our picks, and we're going to start things off with one of my picks of the week, and it is the final issue, which is sad to say, of Dr. Doom. It is Dr. Doom number 10, written by Christopher Cantwell, art by Salvador LaRocca, colors by Guru EFX, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Oh my gosh. I lost it this issue. It is like one of the best final issues of a run this year, This definitely this week. So it gets the pulley for that, but just heart-pounding, intense. You get our Dr. Doom onto a world in which Victor Von Doom has figured it out. He's figured out his life. He's figured out his family. He's figured out how to coexist, how to succeed, how to save the world. Victor Von Doom on this other world has saved everything. And our Doom has to look him in the eyes and put all this together and figure out, will he put aside whatever is holding him back or not? Just the last, like, six or eight pages like has this like heavy feeling like music it's almost like um what's that nick cage movie that mandy it's like mandy almost yeah right like that's the vibe i got like everything changes and it Mm -hmm. just like and like you it gets wild it gets weird it gets sad it gets intense at the end our boy kang shows up as he's been popping in and out of this series 
what a friggin' fantastic final issue. I would say if anybody out there has not read this Doctor Doom series, you have what, like six, seven issues up mm-hmm. on uh, Marvel Unlimited to check out. There's at least one collection out. And with this 10th issue, it's a nice, tight 10 issue story that I think is really going to hold up over time. Yeah, I totally agree. It, that's that's kind of the blessing and a curse of, of something like this, where it's 10 issues in and out. We get a full story because with an amazing storyteller like Christopher Cantwell directing this, you know you're going to get those like beats so methodically placed and you're going to get the conclusion. But like, you know, it wants you it leaves you wanting more. Of course, of course it does, because he's just so good. Hey, speaking of uh, leaving you wanting more and luckily you will get plenty more of our next pick of the week. This is King in Black number two. It is chapter two, of course, and this is called Fall. It's written by Donnie Cates with pencils by Ryan Stegman, inks by J.P. Meyer, colors by Frank Martin, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Look, we've done spoiler stuff on issue number one. I won't get too heavy into that. If you're interested in our full spoiler breakdown, we talked to Donnie and Ryan about all the gory details in a previous episode of Marvel's Police. You can go and check that out. But I will say that... This is an event that I think Donny Cates has kind of built a reputation in just a few years that he's been, you know, uh, one of the kind of main Marvel writers, uh, certainly of of some of the big books for consequences to the point where it it became a joke for a time where just like Donny is a killer. Someone (laughs) is going to die in each of Donny's books, reaching a, a climax in that way with Death of the Inhumans. But why I say that is because coming off of the back of issue number one, in which there were consequences explored just alone and you know ramifications that you feel in that that continues big time in this issue there's such a bold choice i feel like at the heart of this event that circles directly around our hero eddie brock around venom and i don't want to talk about what that is if you saw the end of issue number one you know that he was in uh, dire circumstances and i'll just say there's not a lot of pulling punches here. You really explore the devastation that Null is bringing all across the world at this point. For me, a big story, whether it's a comic, a movie, a novel, whatever it is, the big moments are only as good as the quiet moments. You need those moments of introspection and quietude to stop and reflect on all the big stuff that's happening around you. And I think this issue does an incredible job at that. Issue number one was nonstop, 100 miles an hour the whole time. This issue has plenty of moments where you just have a second to go, oh, no. And you're with your characters. You're with your characters like Dylan or Spidey or Reed Richards. And you're kind of taking stock of what's going on. And it makes all those bigger, crazy action sequences, the dragons that we have so much of in this issue in particular, there's so much going on. There's so much action, but you get so much time to appreciate it all. And that's something that I really appreciate because with an artist like Ryan, the creative team on here, they have the restraint and the expertise to know that they need to pace it out. And uh, you get highs and lows in that way on this issue. Obviously, I am full of things to say about this comic, <laughs> but I'll wrap it up just by saying, go read the dang thing. Yeah. Looking at Ryan's art, man, he's so good. There's just something about him. It gives me like the excitement I get of looking at Todd McFarlane's art when he did Spider-Man, but this feels and looks and just pops as such a modern 
version of that taken to the nth degree. I think Ryan is one of the tops in the game right now. This is a big event book, right? And so there's a ton spinning out of it. We have tie-ins this week. There's a thing I love about big event books in how they get you in these little bits, these little threads that you can tug on if you want to of like, oh, here's a Namor story. Here's the thread to that. Mm -hmm. Here's Blade over here. Here's the thread to that. Here's all these different little stories. Like you can explore them if you want, but you don't have to. You can read it all in King and Black, but the tie-ins to this are great because the next pick of the week for me is a King and Black tie-in. It is Spider-Woman number seven. I will tell you this before I get any further into it, that the writer of the issue, Carla Pacheco, as soon as I finished reading this, I tweeted to her, just finished reading Spider-Woman number seven, JFC, Carla, five exclamation points. (laughs) Take that to mean what you want it to mean. But that was like, what is... I love Carla Pacheco. She's the best. And I love this book so much. It's firing on all cylinders. It's got art by Perry Perez, colors by Frank D'Armada, and letters by VC's Travis Lanham. It picks up with Spider-Woman, Jessica Drew. She's got this serum in her that is making her really strong and really fast, really amped up, but she's incredibly unstable. She's really, really intense, and they need her to help fight the King in Black Null and the dragons and all this other stuff that's going on. But she's like in the middle of her own crisis. She's dying, and she's trying to find a cure for something that could save her, but most importantly, will save her son and save her niece. And like everything else, it doesn't matter. That's it. I've said it before. I'll say it again. When you when you have that sense of like, I have a child, everything else is like secondary. And so I felt for her in a way that I don't know that I've felt for her previously. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Carla does such a great job of portraying that. But like that sense of urgency, like is so pressing to me. She rides a friggin' symbiote dragon, then like Venom punches it in the air and then proceeds to break its neck on landing and then keeps punching it. That's not even the most violent and intense moment in this issue. (laughs) It is wild. There's a fight between Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel, and Jessica Drew, Spider-Woman in here, which is the thing that really caused me to be like, Carla, what is going on? Because it's, it's a physical fight, but the verbal bits in here, holy moly this is a must read issue if you have any interest in jessica drew or if you just want to be like i'm I'm curious about this book this is a great issue to just dive in you know it's kind of covered in the symbiote goo of king and black so it it sort of can kind of live in its own you get everything you need to know and you get a sense of some big stuff is happening in this issue in this story in this book it's really damn good yeah, totally agreed. That's what we have for our picks this week. Now we're going to jump into the other excellent comics on offer this week. And we're starting with Amazing Spider-Man number 54. This issue examines the relationship between Harry Osborn and Mary Jane in a way that I love. Those are two characters that obviously have so much history, but to really take a kind of a whole issue and examine that relationship is incredible. And and I really, really loved seeing that, seeing those characters, especially where they are right now, talk to each other and figure things out. There's a great flashback sequence in here as well, which I really, really loved. Um, Senator has become very heavily entwined in this story, especially the last 10 or 12 issues or so, kind of most recently culminating with uh, the absorption of Moreland's powers, which was wild in and of itself. This issue, though, took it in a complete direction where I kind of had to look over the page 
four or five times before I fully absorbed what just happened. This might take the cake for most shocking moment of the week for me. And I am absolutely rudderless now. I don't know where we're going next. And that's what makes it so exciting. Yeah. All right. We've got Excalibur number 16. This gets my pulley for Oi Govna moment of the week (laughs) because there's a bit in here with Jamie Braddock. Jamie Braddock has a conversation with Mr. Sinister and Mr. Sinister is like, that accent's fake, isn't it? It's got to be fake. And it's just that little interaction there had me laughing because if Jamie's putting upon a British accent, it would be hilarious. This also has a great final page, which if you are an old school, like 90s Psylocke fan and knew who she was like entwined with in romantic ways, and I will leave it at that. It was really cool. I was like, oh, that's a cool bit of relationship stuff to dig into. So we'll see. All right, next up we have King Size Conan, number one. This is a major oversized issue celebrating 50 years of the Sumerian Barbarian in comic books. There are, I think, five stories collected in here, all by some of the greats. I'm talking about Roy Thomas, Kurt Busiek, Chris Claremont, uh, alongside some incredible writers. Uh, A couple of writers making their Marvel Comics debuts in here, which is super fun. The specific story that I want to highlight in here, though, Kevin Eastman does the story and art. It is so gorgeous, and it has this kind of like ancient Celtic weirdness about it, almost trippiness that I really love. It almost looks like a wood carving, this story. And it's just so, so beautiful and also has the spirit and energy of a Conan story, just like we all love. That was a huge standout for me among a bunch of great stories going on in here. A great achievement and shout out to everybody involved in this issue uh, and a worthy celebration of 50 years of Conan. Uh, yeah, I, I also got a shout out Stephen DeKnight, yeah. a showrunner for the first season of Daredevil, and he's done a ton of amazing stuff. He wrote a story in here. And then the first story that Roy Thomas writes, Steve McNiven's art, he like merges his style with Barry Windsor Smith, and it's some of the best looking comic book art this week. In a week where I'm going to talk about you know, a book like Maestro now, which is just gorgeous. This book, you know, we, we talked about it the entire time it has been coming out. Herman Peralta has been crushing the art in here. And it is a brutal, brutal issue where you get the old man Hulk turning into the Maestro fighting someone who is dead, but on fire and also no longer dead. And it is the <laughs> just the gnarliest battle of the week. And it's like this almost, there's like a, just a, possibility that things could have changed there's a beautiful splash page in here that just has somebody saying you did this you did this to me on fire flexing and getting ready to throw down it is bonkers this book is so good speaking of bonkers next up we have marvel number three and this is one of the most idiosyncratic and unusual and all of the best things that don't come around very often kind of comic. I love the kind of book endings of this because essentially we're jumping across the Marvel multiverse here. We're getting snippets of different things. It's storytelling in the most unusual fashion because some of these entries are a page long. Some of them are two pages long. Some of them are presented in such an avant-garde, unusual style. It's really hard to explain what's going on in this issue, but I love it. There's a great Submariner story in here that is the art is incredible. It is kind of 
classic Namor, that art and stories by Alan Weiss. It's really, really beautiful stuff, but there's beautiful stuff no matter what page you're flipping to. Um, there's a Black Widow story by Heshka. Ryan Heshka. I'm glad you brought that up because, and it's not Natasha Black Widow. Mm-hmm. It is the original golden age, like demonic Black Widow who has like this really cool history. I wish I could just like dial in Lorraine Sink right now because I'm sure she has a, <laughs> really, a bunch of cool information about that original Black Widow. But man, that story was banana. It was so bananas. It's just so... It's so unusual. Yeah, I mean, we run the gamut every week, but this is still something I totally was not expecting to open up a, a Marvel comic and read. It was Red just Skull such a delight. Red Skull goes to hell yeah. and gets married, and <laughs> I want to talk about it forever, but I, we also cannot do that. We yeah. gotta keep moving. So, uh, Tucker, tell me a little bit about Star Wars Bounty Hunters number eight. All right, let's do this. Star Wars Bounty Hunters, we've been on quite a journey alongside Valence and company here. And I got to shout out Ethan Sachs because I remember when Ethan first started doing Marvel Comics, he jumped on board and started doing Old Man Hawkeye. And it was a story that I think took a lot of people by surprise. It was a really, really powerful story. Came out of nowhere, it felt like. And what a palette he has to paint upon the canvas that is Star Wars Bounty Hunters because it is built on, I think, strange Star Wars. It's built on the weirder edges of Star Wars. I think heavily influenced by what is now Star Wars Legends, if not taking directly from those things, Valance obviously being evidence of that himself. But in terms of the spirit of what this book is, it's really that because I feel like a lot of it exists on the fringes of what we know to be kind of standard Star Wars stories. This issue comes off the back of issue number seven, which was a really unexpectedly emotional issue. And this one ramps up the energy back up again. And it's uh, the beginning of a new story arc called Moving Target. And I think that's a perfect uh, descriptor for it because it's really nonstop action. Again, we are with Valence as a bunch of people are right on his tail and he's doing his best to keep up with all of it. And so are we. If you're curious about some Star Wars stuff that you might not be so familiar with, that's off the beaten path of Star Wars, uh, I would recommend this series. I recommend a bunch of the Star Wars comics that we've been reading over the past couple of years. And this Bounty Hunter series is uh, definitely a really, really interesting and unusual one to explore. Yeah. All right. Last of the new books this week is U.S. Agent number two. Tucker, you and I were really lucky enough to talk with uh, Christopher Priest at length recently for a future reading club. But we did talk a little bit about U.S. Agent and just getting his perspective on John Walker and America and all this stuff. For me, this gets a pulley for like the most American book of the week and not because it's just like U.S. Asian. It's just it gives such a realistic portrayal of the way that America feels divided right mm. now and, and talks to each other and about each other, but at the same time cares for each other and, and you know, people need to look out for each other. It's a weird book. It's fun. John Walker's a total jerk, but at the same time, like he tries to be a good guy. He just has his perspective on things. It's really neat to see this book sort of play out and where it's going to go. Yeah, definitely agreed. All right. That's what we have for individual issues on sale this week. Now looking at what's available in print collections this week to go and grab some last minute holiday shopping. I would recommend Hawkeye Freefall. 
If you like Clint Barton, if you like Hawkeye, if you're remotely interested in the character and anything to do with it, if you just like fun, light on its feet storytelling, I couldn't recommend this series more. Matt just Matt Rosenberg is the writer. He just taps into that character so beautifully. uh, And this is such a fun series. Heck yeah. Over on Marvel Unlimited, tons of issues for you. You know, we have over 28,000 issues in there. And this week we get a bunch of new ones. Some great stuff like Giant Size X-Men Storm, which is beautiful and weird as all get out it's really really terrific uh we've got x-men marvel snapshots and all the marvel snapshots books are wonderful so we've got some immortal hulk and the first issue of the new iron man series the current one that's going on so lots to jump into if you are a marvel unlimited subscriber and while you're there I think it's about time you pull up Secret Invasion, the original 2008 series that we just absolutely love. We're going to talk to Mr. Tom Brevoort. Joining us as well was Teeny Howard, which was great. And, uh, you know, between Tom and Teeny, we get behind the scenes, we get fan excitement, we get some really cool perspectives on the entire thing. There is a second part to the conversation of sorts. We go from talking about Secret Invasion to talking about Dark Rain, which is the follow-up to it. So if you are interested, you want to keep on listening, there's a, an episode from the backlog where we talk about Dark Rain. You can find it in our feeds. Uh, but right now, let's talk to Tom Brevoort and Teeny Howard about Secret Invasion. I now will introduce our two guests today, which is very exciting. Uh, joining us, we have Marvel Comics writer of a million Amazing things, Teeny Howard. Hi. Hi, Teeny. And of course, we have Marvel Comics executive editor Tom Brevoort. Hi, Tom. Hello. I feel I feel very accomplished that we were able to get this all together. Even if like everything fell apart now, the four of us talking and it works. Great job, all of us. I feel really good. Moment is important. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so for this episode, we're gonna we're gonna have a lot of fun, and this is actually gonna be part one of two because we are talking about Secret Invasion this episode, and then next episode we're gonna follow up with Dark Rain, and they are very closely tied together. And we picked Dark Rain. Um, actually, we started with Dark Rain because we wanted you on the show, Teeny, and you was like, I want to talk about all of Dark Rain. I did. I was like, oh God, please, no, we can't do that. But we will be talking about Dark Avengers specifically uh, and the one shot that bridges Secret Invasion and Dark Reign. And of course, we can't talk about all this without Mr. Tom Brevoort because Tom, um, you were editor of Secret Invasion, correct? Yes, yes, I was. So Secret Invasion is a big Mama Jamma uh, Marvel Comics event. And um, last time we had you on, we were talking about Civil War, which is kind of the the previous big Mama Jamma event in the Marvel Universe. That is true. So let's uh, a little quick recap. We are going to get into spoilers. We're going to be talking about these stories. This is, you know, a bit of a reading club and rehash and behind the scenes and all kinds of fun stuff. So if you've not read Secret Invasion and not read Dark Reign, Now's the time. If you have Marvel Unlimited, you can read everything that we're going to be talking about. So Secret Invasion, it's paranoia everywhere. You have a shattered landscape of superheroes have to come together to fight off an armada of Skrulls. 
from ships, from infiltrations, from all kinds of places. Skrulls are these shape-changing alien warriors, and they're souped up to the max in this story. And it's up to heroes and villains alike to try to stop them. Is that a fair representation of what the story is, Tom? Uh, in the broadest sense, yes. <laughs> I only do broad strokes here. All right, all right. To, to landscape it for everybody, the main series of Secret Invasion started in April. The first issue came out, I think it was April 2nd, 2008, and it finished in November of 2008. And as we mentioned with Civil War, Civil War had finished just a couple months beforehand. We had the initiative, which was sort of coming out of Civil War, the 50 states, all the superheroes, registration, um, and also a lot of work that Brian Michael Bendis did had been doing on New Avengers Illuminati, on New Avengers, uh, there's Mighty Avengers stuff. Um, but the lead-in to this all, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, it started at the beginning of 2008, a couple months before the first issue. Um, the, the direct lead-in did start before the first issue, um, but the, the ramp-up stuff had started much, much earlier. Um, this was all things that Brian was planting and seeding as he was writing his early issues of New Avengers that were things that he knew about that really nobody else uh, knew about or knew were, were going any place specific. So he'd been dropping little little beats and little, little breadcrumbs, uh, you know, probably going back even before Civil War, that he'd had the idea for uh, this story and, and some of what he wanted to do, uh, and he was laying down a trail uh, that he could ultimately you know, pick up on later on and, and turn into a story. How early did you learn about what he was thinking for all this? Uh, I learned uh, later than I probably should have, <laughs> um, you know, because he, he had laid down a bunch of that stuff before really telling me about it. Um, you know, he would have told me about it and he did tell me about it before we went into a, a you know, retreat to, to talk about it. Uh, and at that point, uh, you know, what I remember is, you know, he, 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 he gave me the basic overall gist of what he wanted to do. Uh, and at that point, there were two Avengers books. There was New Avengers and there was Mighty Avengers, which had been launched after Civil War. And it was sort of the, effectively, it was the, the, the Cap book, even though Cap wasn't in it, he was busy being dead and assassinated at that point. But by that point, I think Bucky was Cap in it. Uh, and there was the Iron Man book, which was the Mighty Avengers. So you kind of had the pro-registration and anti-registration Avengers, and everyone was divided, everyone got their own book. Uh, and Brian, you know, called me up at some point as we were getting ready for whatever the next retreat was, and he said, hey, I want to bring you up to speed on this thing. I've been, I've been planning it in the background on uh, of the two Avengers titles. It's this thing that, that's, uh, you know, going to be the secret scroll invasion, uh, and I want to do it completely in the pages of, of the two Avengers books. This is an Avengers event. It's not a Marvel Universe event. We're going to do this. So I need your help and your support as we go into this retreat to make sure that, uh, you know, this, you know, this stays on track and that we, uh, you know, we were able to keep control of it and it's the scale and the size that I wanted to be. And so we went into the retreat and I came in with this and, you know, talked around stuff for the first couple of, of hours or whatnot. Um, and then there was a point at which 
uh, Joe had left the room. He had to take a call. He had to go to the, the restroom, whatever it was. Joe left the room. Uh, and Dan Buckley was, was there, uh, who is our, our, our publisher and president. Uh, and Dan was like, right, okay. We're, now we're going to talk about Brian's secret invasion idea. And this is going to be our next big event. Uh, and in that split second, I read the room and I went, yep, absolutely. And I totally <laughs> sold Brian out. I totally threw it, threw it away and went, yep, okay. Uh, we're not going to win this fight. You know, if we, if we try to have this argument here that this is not, a, not an event, we're not going to win. So let's just cut to the part where we, we, we've already lost and accepted that this is going to be a bigger thing. And, and, and let's go. Uh, and it probably would have been different if Joe was in the room because Joe had a different relationship with, with Brian and was more likely to be at least open to, to, to hearing that point of view. And it's not to say that Dan didn't, but Dan was looking at last year we had a, you know, whatever it was, whether it was Civil War or World War Hulk, I'm forgetting slightly the, the, the sequence. I think World War Hulk came between the two. Correct. If I'm, if I'm remembering right. Um, so we'd, we'd started on this pattern of, you know, we do big events every year and we're it's it's time for another a big event story and having a story come out of the Avengers books, which we're doing very well, made a lot of sense, and this is the idea Brian is building to, and 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 that's it. And ultimately, you know, it didn't take too long until Brian was either convinced or resigned to the fact that, you know, he was now gonna be doing the story as a big event book rather than just a story that he ran in Avengers and New Avengers. Teeny, I heard you giggling during some of that. Uh-huh. Uh, as as a writer, how do you feel about about those like the way that kind of goes down? Well, it's funny because at this point, it's like uh, Tom. For you, it must feel like you're starting to see like chickens come home to roost because like I was a super big fan of those books. Like they like books like so like events like civil war and secret invasion are what made me like a rabid marvel fan and now i work for you so. mm-hmm. just just understand if i'll do it to brian i'll do it to anybody <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's funny because i'm learning a lot uh today that's really Good. valuable for me <laughs> uh, no i mean it's it's great but it's like at this point i've been in those big rooms and i've seen like how we work as a group when it's like you know, ideas get bigger and smaller because someone in the room, res- you know, just says something off the cuff and everyone responds really well. And and that's one thing I really like about those big rooms is that it's like, if something catches fire, we tend to let it catch fire. And it's like, if someone's like, yeah, that's cool. Let's do more of that. Like, uh, I don't know. It, it feels, it feels good. Like as a, as a creative person, I always feel like the things I respond to the most when I hear about the making of them, often come from those moments of cool, like generative, sudden, real storytelling and the urge to do that. So I don't know, it's kind of neat for me to hear like, yeah, you know, things that sometimes feel like this moment of lightning sometimes were. Um, and I don't know, Secret Invasion was a lot like that for me. It was uh, it was my soaps. It was my story. <laughs> <laughs> I This is, you know, having reread it for this, I think this is my favorite Marvel Comics event up there, like I, I think up there, I really love War of the Realms, and I 
for me, it was just, it gives me special feelings partially. Like I was reading it. My wife was looking at it. She's like, oh, I remember that was when we first started dating. And I have all these, you know, I have a photo of her with, because we made these cutout scroll masks, uh, <laughs> Tom. We had great marketing. I have yeah. a, a photo from like, our like second or third date of her wearing a scroll mask. And it's so cute. And I have a lot of fondness for this. Uh, Tucker, when was the first time you read this story? Uh, it was probably... 2015 which i want to say was like a year ago but now that's five years ago <laughs> i want to get back to the retreat and the sort of the build of this um because one i want to make sure we note for anybody who doesn't know joe uh it's joe casada who was our editor-in-chief at the time um but also i remember being in the in the rooms for these and it, there was the one editorial treat in, in particular, like I can close my eyes and remember the room and the, the shape of it and everything. And you were planning this and you it was either you or Dan or Brian. I don't know. Somebody had said, all right, let's go around the room. Everybody suggest a character who will be a scroll. Yeah. And ev like literally everyone from the, the dinks like me who were like Marvel.com editor to you know, the, the marketing salespeople, editors, writers, everybody was p pitching. Tom, I feel slighted that my suggestion of Gargoyle from the Defenders did not get incorporated <laughs> into Secret Invasion. Well, if he, if, you know, if he had been a scroll, would anybody have noticed? Oh, <laughs> all his all his many appearances since, you know, 1984. Uh, yeah, there was definitely a, a lot of uh, uh, I, won't, I won't say quite contention, but there was certainly a lot of animated discussion over over who could be a scroll and 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 uh, what and how far, um, you know, because I know that one of the big. Uh, arguments and fights that went on in that room. Technically, there were two of them. Um, one got dispensed quickly, which was Gwen Stacy. Uh, anytime Jeff Loeb had an opportunity to maybe bring Gwen Stacy back, he would he would he would go for it. And I think I, I'm not sure if that was Jeff or not, um, but he he certainly would have been all, all right with the idea that okay, Gwen Stacy was a scroll, and the real Gwen Stacy's been on you know on, on a scroll planet or in a scroll tube since 1973. Um, and but the you know, then the other one that 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 people were really hot on, and I would think I was one of the people that ultimately like shouted it down was was Hank Pym, um, because people saw this as oh this is how we can clean up all of that Hank slap Jan stuff, and I kept going guys that was that happened in like 1980, you're you're telling me that for the last 30 years, uh, that character hasn't been the real character. Um, not only is, are, are the readers not going to forget that it happened, but we're not going to even be able to keep that stuff straight. So, you know, you could you could have replaced characters more, of more recent vintage. Um, and, and, you know, certainly Brian decided very early on, um, you know, that, that Spider-Woman had been a scroll pretty much since the time she came into New Avengers. I don't know that he had that right away, but he had the idea, the inkling for it very early on. Uh, and so, again, he, he sprinkled a few clues and things in as he went. At least that's my take on it. Yeah, I could see that. Um, Teeny, were you, as a reader, as a fan, were you freaked out early on in the story by the possibility of these characters being scrolls, Or what was your reaction to this? Yeah, so 
I also treated myself to a reread since I find myself with some inside time lately and uh, <laughs> uh, was remembering just like, I'm laughing. I, I really love that, like that story about the exercise in the writing room, because the point of an exercise like that is to see like creatively, right? Like what we can justify and not just what we can justify, what feels right. Like what justify, what, what is justifiable and like a get, you know, emotionally or narratively or whatever. Um, and it's so cool because I, rem I remember like rereading it last night that it's like, you have that thought as a reader, when you start realizing what's going on, you start being like, well, wait, who's been where and what have they done? And was that really them? And then you get that amazing scene. That's probably my favorite scene in all of secret invasion of Tony Stark being totally unsure. And it's like, Black mm -hmm. Widow and Spider-Woman are like, yes, you're a Skrull, no, you're not. And he's just like freaking out. And it's that amazing like Lionel U art of him just like, you can see every drop of sweat on him and every line yep. in his face. Yep. And it's this pure horror moment of just like, no, no. And so, you know, I Iron Man is my is my baby, he's my favorite. <laughs> and, and, you know, that scene is so, such a big part of why. Um, was because like when I started really, really reading Marvel comics, it was like Civil War and Secret Invasion. So it was like the Tony Stark emotional flogging show. And I was really into that because I love a character who suffers, mm -hmm. <laughs> but like for their own reasons and because they kind of got themselves there and, you know, Tony Stark kind of deserves it. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's funny too, because reading it, I was just like, oh my God, this is so funny to me to... Like, do you ever go back and read something and you realize that it's such a, like, obvious laundry list description of why you are the way you are as a person? <laughs> like, looking at what I write and then looking at, like, the books that I really fell in love with first at Marvel, it's like, it's the, you read the first issue of Secret Evasion, it's like, Wicked and Spider-Woman and Iron Man, and it's like... It's just, it's all these characters. And I'm like, yeah, these are, these are why uh, they were my favorites. And part of it was because I got so like worried about, so like that, the, uh, like there's the secret invasion, dark rain, there's the young Avengers runaways tie-ins. And there's, uh, I mean, it's arguably one of the biggest parts of, of Spider-Woman's entire arc is, is finding out that she's been the Skrull queen. So yeah, for me as a reader, it was a lot of these characters that I'd fell, fallen in love with, like Spider-Woman, that I'd fallen in love with because of the new Avengers run. Like, there, a lot of you guys have seen the very embarrassing pictures of me dressed up as Spider-Woman. <laughs> like, I, I love Jessica Drew. Um, I fell in love with her really, really deeply. She was the character. I mean, I was a loudmouth, dark-haired girl, so she was the character that I, like, attached myself to when I was started reading New Avengers. Uh, and so watching all my favorites just get put through the ringer like that, I mean... That's why I like Bendis books, man. He just puts all my faves <laughs> through the ringer. <laughs> Teeny and Tom, I'm curious from uh, a personal perspective for you two, and we're talking about like all of this kind of work processes and things like that. Teeny, I know you'll remember, and Tom, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you will too. Do you guys remember the first time you two worked together? Because we have you here now, and that's something that I was curious about before we started recording. Was it the Captain America annual, or was it something else? That was my first Marvel work, and I got to work with, with Tom, which was a great honor. Yeah, that was actually mostly Alana. I was just in the background, so mm -hmm. uh, Alana really edited that rather than, than me. Um, I, I think the first thing I edited more hands-on that, that Teeny was involved in, with, and correct me if I'm wrong, was the Marvel Knights 20th 
anniversary project. Mm. Um, and, and she did an issue of that. Uh, and so that's one that I would have had more more hand in. It's not like I didn't have some influence on the cap annual, but really Alana Smith edited that and I was just a, a passenger in the back seat. Nice. Those are two of my favorite things. And I always, Ryan can tell you, take the opportunity to bring up that cap annual because that was one of those moments that you see. And when you read in every book every week, the kind of topography of these things becomes very apparent of like, oh, there's something special happening here. And I'm happy to have been validated now um, that uh, a couple years later, we're talking to uh, to you, Teeny, here uh, about this stuff. Aw. Well, yeah, Tom, <laughs> Tom is right. I want to shout out to Alana uh, on that cup annual. The Honestly, best. part of why I feel like we were able to make something really special is because Alana and I you know clicked right away and we were talking about all of our inspirations and the stories we love and things like band of brothers and these like um certain kind of like you know emotional human war stories that we really really liked and thought would be uh, a really fun thing to tell with captain america and alana was so wonderful because it was my first marvel work and i was so nervous <laughs> <It's> <laughs> your very first marvel work being right 30 pages of captain america is like <laughs> it's a lot yeah. Um, but of course I was going to do it and, uh, I was going to do it well, or I was just going to walk off into the sunset and change my name. <laughs> so, but, uh, uh, my husband is like a massive cat fan and, and he read it and complimented it. And I was, uh, I was like, okay, well, you're, you're the biggest cat fan I know. So it works for you. I feel proud of it. But yeah, Alana was so welcoming and so awesome. And we really like, we really worked together to make that story what it was like. We, we really drilled down on the things that were both important to both of us. And it was cool to come right in working somewhere and meet up with an editor who is, I don't, I'm the kind of writer where I like talking to my editor, I like getting on the phone. Uh, I like just, you know, tossing out half-formed ideas and, and seeing where they go and getting feedback. Uh, Tom knows that. I bother him enough with those. Um, <laughs> and uh, Alana was totally welcome to that right off the bat. So like, the reason I've been able to do all the stuff I've been able to do at Marvel is because I've had editors who like working like that with me and are always willing to like get on the phone and, and hear me be like, okay, I know this is crazy and it's only half formed, but maybe we can build something together. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get back on track here because um, I also want to like pull, pull back a little bit, look at what secret invasion is. Cause to me, it's it, it feels even bigger in scope in the number of stories, in the number of tie-ins and, and relevant pieces around the Marvel Universe than Civil War. Tom, was there anything different or things that changed or things you sort of learned from Civil War that you took into Secret Invasion as a big event? Um, I, I'm sure there were because you learn stuff from all of these, but you're talking about a series that's now, what, 12, 13 years old? Um, and I've learned from 12 or 13 more of these since then. So being able to define it is going to be a little <laughs> bit uh, 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 difficult. Sure. Um, you know, uh, the, the, the thing that we always said, and this was, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, a thing that Brian tossed out early on, I think even when we were doing House of M, uh, and it becomes, you know, very much the operating philosophy on building these things, is we're only going to be as good as our lousiest tie-in or as our lousiest piece so you know you need to make sure that you know the bottom 
is elevated as high up as as you can. It's not even so much about obviously you want to make the the best things as good as they can be, but it's really more almost about uh, you know raising the bar on on what your lowest entry is and and making it a little more difficult to just do a tie-in that doesn't matter or that's a throwaway story or or that doesn't really tie into things um because in aggregate you know the audience isn't necessarily most of them are not going to buy and read everything because we don't tend to have a lot of millionaires who follow our comics and and so you you can't afford to do that you're going to pick and choose the pieces that of this story uh that you read and you know your your impression of it's going to be colored by how good every piece is and if you read four books and one of them's a real turkey your take on the the, the whole series is going to be uh you know much more influenced by that uh than if that's one book out of 40 um doesn't matter if you read four and that was one you're 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 25 percent to the bad uh so so you know we always tended to to, to try and have a relatively uh, strong bar for entry just yeah and 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 the you know the the operating premise coming into this is relatively simple um you know you need to have a scroll in your book somewhere um that was the easiest uh buy-in for for most people during secret invasion anyway you know once you get later and there's fighting in the savage land and then the fighting goes global and it becomes about embrace change and and so forth there are other avenues to, to entry um you know but uh, you know particularly in places like uh, the initiative you know there there was a lot of oh we're going to uh you know we'll reveal that 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 whole whole teams of of superheroes in different states or scrolls and and that will that will uh, uh, you know uh, turn things over and inside out from from where they were. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up embrace change as well because to me one of the all the things that we really excelled at from Civil War and leading into Secret Invasion was the marketing and those embrace change images. Um, I, they're great. I, I, they're so weird. I remember when they were being put together in the office. Tom, I know you know your head's down trying to make books, but what do you think when you first see those those embrace change pieces come through? Um, well, again, I was around for them being formulated, uh, and I think probably pound for pound, Secret Invasion probably had the best marketing campaign uh, that one of these has ever had. Um, that that you know, our team and our guys had learned from Civil War and, and the things that worked there and the things that didn't work there. Certainly things like Civil War had a very simple slogan, whose side are you on? Uh, and that got replicated in Secret Invasion with who do you trust? Um, you know, things like in Civil War, uh, there were the little uh, uh, like sign off uh, graphics that people would have in their 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 emails or their social posts. I'm on so and so's side, and we manufactured a bunch of those, and then the fans ran off and made every different version of those that you could make. Um, so so going into Secret Invasion, you know there was a real focus, you know from uh, you know, our guys uh, Dan Buckley and uh, Mike Pashulo, who who really headed up a lot of those efforts, um, to come up with ways not only to market things, but to quantify and kind of communicate how the story is rolling out to the audience. So, um, you know, we didn't start with, oh, there's like three acts. 
that kind of came from them saying, okay, this is going to be there for three months or six months, I forget which, uh, and we need to differentiate these. And so, okay, this one will be Secret Invasion, and it'll be sort of subtitled The Infiltration. And this one will be, I forget what the other two were, one of them might have been Embrace Change. And so at each point, it was sort of like, okay, at this point in the story, uh, this this event is going to hit, and then the marketing will change and shift. Uh, and those Embrace Change ads are weird. Um, they're, they're, they're really strange uh, and almost not obvious. Because, like, if I'm remembering correctly, like, there's nothing on them that says Secret Invasion. Like, it's, it's just, it's almost like they're, you know, PSA ads. And the idea was, oh, this is kind of like the propaganda that now the Skrulls are here and they're taken over and, and, and they're going to make Earth their planet. This is kind of the spin that they're trying to communicate. Uh, I remember that it was at least somewhat influenced by Battlestar Galactica. Like people were very into Battlestar Galactica at that time, uh, and there was you know there was stuff going on there with there were Cylons among the, the the crew, and maybe people were human, or maybe they were secret robots, and a lot of that sort of thing was in thinking was in the zeitgeist. So people were talking a lot about that kind of that kind of impact and how you get that across. And there was also the, 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 you know, the quasi-religious aspect that, uh, you know, again, in Battlestar Galactica, there was some sense of it, of it being like a jihad or, or a, a, you know, a holy or religion-based conflict. Uh, and some of that thinking got applied to, to Secret Invasion as well. So it's not just that the Skrulls are coming and taking over because they don't have a planet, but there's uh, there's texts and there's prophecies and there's a whole there's 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 more uh, there's more to this than just a land grab or the standard invasion that there's a belief system and that these are uh, people or or beings critters that you know have a belief system that you can understand and that are, are you know are, are trying to, to to achieve something and make something of this that they believe is. Uh, you know, uh, space biblically motivated. Um, so, so, so all of this kind of went into the into the the, the hopper of the marketing. Tini, you sounded like you you uh, you reacted very visceral, viscerally to those ads. Oh my gosh! Well, I was laughing because uh, one, I love that. Yeah, they don't look obvious. They they look. I always thought they looked like the kind of photos that when you buy a picture frame. <laughs> <laughs> they 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 were the original photos <laughs> the original photos that those are built off of were all stock photos yeah like they they had gone out you know mike mike Bashulo and his team went out and sourced a bunch of stock photos you know like we looked through catalogs and things and we found photos that you could go you could take and go okay if we take that figure and we paint him green and we put bumps on his on his chin It'll be a scroll, and that'll and that'll work. So those are absolutely, uh, you know, all, all all that kind of of image because the the source material was very much that. I just want to like stick one on my wall along with like other family photos and like see see how long it takes anyone to notice. <laughs> I mean, not like anyone's coming over to my apartment for the next month or whatever, but <laughs> someday when I can have friends over again, I should totally just like frame one of those with my other photos real casual <laughs> photoshop get someone to photoshop my wedding photos so i look like the scroll queen and just like put it up on the wall oh man 
to our producers who are on the line with us, Jorge and MR, uh, I think that's an investigative piece we need to do is to find the original models for these uh, stock photos and then show them their scroll versions uh, because <laughs> that just sounds bananas. <laughs> And then, like, one of them is like, you discovered me, and, like, pulls their face down. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, let's let's start getting into uh, more of the story stuff. Uh, Tom, you mentioned the infiltration. There's a great collection, actually, called Secret Invasion, the Infiltration, that has a bunch of books that set things up. I just want to mention it really quickly because um, uh, having reread it, Right before I read the main story, I thought it was it was great. It was New Avengers Illuminati issue number one, uh, New Avengers 31, 32, Mighty Avengers 7, New Avengers Illuminati 5, Avengers Initiative Annual 1, and New Avengers 38 and 39. I went through those very quickly, but there's like reading those, it's like really cool pieces because we see how the scrolls capture Iron Man, Doctor Strange, Professor X, Namor, Black Bolt, and Reed back in the day to help build their super scroll army. We get you know, um, the the main reveal of Skrull Elektra in New Avengers uh, feels now even to me, I was reading it and it was like so tense and so cool. Um, <laughs> I loved, I, I still, I love that bit. And then like it follows up so quickly with Skrullectra uh, going, you know, we get her in the hands of Tony Stark. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot of a lot of fun reading these pieces again and seeing how the whole tapestry comes together. Um, you were also obviously editing. Were you editing all these books? I'm... I think if I didn't edit all of them, <laughs> I edited most of them. Yeah, I'm looking at the the titles, especially New Avengers would have been, you know, a, a core book of yours. Yeah, yeah, and I did the Illuminati, and I did Avengers: The Initiative, and so so all of that stuff I think was stuff that came out of my office. I meant to pull it out, but I, I didn't. The first piece of uh, like original art I ever got um, was my friend Sunny Lee, who did some covers and stuff for Marvel back in the day, did me a piece of the Illuminati. Uh, and that was like the first piece of original comic art I ever got for myself was a piece he drew for me of, of the Illuminati. Uh because I, I love the Illum- I love the Illuminati. I love the Cabal. Like, give me all of these dark hotties making plans together. <laughs> <laughs> it's like wrestling. I love a good faction. Like, yeah, I love a good heel faction. Yeah, they're not like a, they're not the team that goes out to fight necessarily all the time, but they're the ones making the plans, getting on the microphone, making all the noise. It's the best. And like. Not to jump ahead to Dark Rain, but like there really is a read on Dark Rain that's just Norman Osborn booking a really good fight with like Ooh. his Avengers versus his homies. Like there's so, he, just Norman Osborn booking fights. It's so good. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts on Norman Osborn, which we will get to later on. Because this is a Secret Invasion podcast, we do need to talk about Secret Invasion. Uh, the story <laughs> written by Brian Michael Bendis, penciled by Linneal Francis Yu, inks, Mark Morales, colors by Laura Martin with Emily Warren and Christina Strain, letters by Chris Eliopoulos, and covers, uh, the main covers by Gabriel Delotto. Murder's row right there. Right? Oof. Everyone on these books. So good. Uh, Laniel in particular, I wanted to mention, I know Teeny had brought Laniel up and, um, there's a, a panel in the first issue of Secret Invasion where you find that the Hank Pym scrawl, uh, there's a, a moment with Reed where he pulls out his blaster, he turns Reed into goo and that, that panel of Reed as <laughs> goo 
draped over things is one of my favorite panels of the entire series. He's so good. And as I was putting this together, I was thinking, oh, yeah, of course. He'd just come off of New Avengers with Brian. Um, He had done a big run there. And I was wondering, I was going to ask you, Tom, was the plan for him to do Secret Invasion? But now what you've said is that Brian always wanted this in the pages of his Avengers books. I, I feel like it was just like there was no never a question. Uh, I think you're you're pretty much right. Um, you know, Lanil going to do that from New Avengers was just a natural outgrowth of okay, it's going to be an event series. Um, you know, whenever we were going to do an event series, we would put the biggest guys that we had, uh, you know, at, at any given moment onto it, uh, and so I think it just naturally, uh, you know, went that way. And you could see it on on New Avengers because all during Secret Invasion, while we have really good people on it. They're they're alternating like every every issue, every two issues, because there is nobody regular there because the regular guy is actually over on Secret Invasion. And I'm running around trying to figure out who we can get to do an issue or two issues, uh, you know, all the way through to the other side of that of that event. It all works out that there's a lot of really cool bits and pieces in the tie-in books, um, which we'll talk a little bit about towards the end um, in the first issue. I mean, this is. You know, if you joined us for these reading club issues, there's we, we, we try to go through each issue a little bit slower, but there's so much that happens because the story really encompasses like it, it's massive, uh, whether it's scroll dum dum blowing up sword headquarters or yeah! <laughs> rereading that first issue. I forgot how many swerves there are that are just so heartbreaking because you're like, oh, boy, the Fantastic Four are here. And they're going to save the day. Oh, my God, Sue. <laughs> like, <laughs> like such a perfect event book setup where it's like you get like every team in the Marvel Universe is like, it's OK. We see the threat. We'll get it. And you find out every team has like a mole on it and it's just it's sometimes the most heartbreaking choices like sue it's like no mommy mommy like like hitting the raft and the cube the helicarrier thunderbolt mountain the bringing captain marvel in who's uh, was was that brian's idea was he always wanted to bring in this this scroll captain marvel no that was a that was a holdover from civil war um there was in the original talks about civil war at some point there was talk about we should bring back the original captain marvel and again this was a contentious uh, uh, a question did we want to do this did we not want to do this uh, and the story that ended up happening there in uh this one shot that that showed up right towards the end um was that it's captain marvel but somehow he's come forward through time so it's captain marvel before He's died of the cancer, and at some point we'll have to send him back. But in the meantime, yay, he's here and he's Captain Marvel. And nobody was really satisfied with that. One of the reasons we got to that was in the very early planning, there was talk about doing stuff with Captain Marvel, and it didn't happen. And then as we got to the end of Civil War, uh, Mark wrote Civil War scripts. Uh, It may have only been the script for Seven uh, that had scenes with Captain Marvel in them and we were far enough behind and things were were dire enough that it was like we couldn't go back and go oh Mark we need you to rewrite all of this stuff uh and so uh you know we very quickly you know Steve Wacker proposed and then put together that Captain Marvel one shot in in jig time it was one of the first things he did 
uh, upon coming over. And so then we were sort of in this situation where there's a Captain Marvel here. There's no project. Nobody's working on this. Nobody's doing anything with it. And nobody's really happy with the way it was all pulled together. So as we started to talk about Secret Invasion, at a certain point we went, well, okay, what if that guy's a scroll? Um, you know, that's a good person that could be a scroll. It's it's right there. Um, it plays on the history. Uh, and then, you know, I guess kind of further to that, you know, I don't remember if it was Brian Reed specifically who came up with this or if it was uh, Brian Bendis or one of the other guys in the room. Could have been anybody. Um, you know, maybe he doesn't know, entirely know he's a scroll, And so, uh, you know, th there could be a tragic reveal and and but basically we can we can take care of and and make some good applesauce out of uh, you know out of this this thing that we accidentally backed into. That's one of my favorite things about writing comics, though. It's <laughs> <laughs> like going and finding something and being like, "This really spoke to me," and finding an editor be like, "We did that because we had to, or it was an accident, or we were trying to make space for an artist or something." Like that was a function of production not a function of the story and being able to go back and being like well now I'm the storyteller so I get to say it was a function of the story and make it work in a way that which is great also because like Tom said it sometimes you can take something that maybe doesn't feel entirely satisfying to either you as a fan or just whatever but maybe something was like oh that was a function of production so at the time maybe it wasn't satisfying to the story that they were making but I can make it satisfying to the story I'm making now um I love that kind of stuff. I love that that kind of the function shaping the medium. I like writing comics because I like writing in sequential art and I also like writing in a serialized medium. I like giving people a chunk of my story at a time. Um, and, but because of that, the way we make comics, we end up uh, very often, you know, it's constant. Um, it's at the speed of, it's at the speed of always. <laughs> so uh, things like that happen, but it's just, it's, like Tom said, it's like making applesauce or or apple pie if you don't like applesauce. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it's some good apple pie because I really dug the Captain Marvel thread throughout Secret Invasion, especially when we get to him towards the end. That his last words to to no to um to Marvel Boy, I was like, damn, that's good. Yeah, yeah, um, that stuff with Novar just like carries forward. It does, and and keeps being cool. Yeah, I remember just people were. Yeah, all over themselves throughout this, like as the first issue, you know, this is 2008. There's plenty of Internet going around. Um, not quite like it is now, but uh, people were losing it, especially when we get to the moment with the ship that crash lands in the Savage Land and out come all these characters. And you've got yep. like Emma Frost and you've got the Beast and you've got like character after character. Uh Tom, as a as as the storyteller, as the editor, like knowing what you're setting up here, like how much fun is that to to see come on to the page? Um, it's it's certainly fun. Uh, again, that moment and you know where it ended up was probably the most discussed and argued uh, piece of the of the whole thing, because you know going into it and just pitched as a an offhanded, you know, the, the, the simple version of it, it you know, the, that moment was, you know, the ship comes down, it opens up, and pretty much 1960s Marvel comes out. Um, and, so, and, and so everybody was, like, super into that idea, uh, except that everybody individually was precious about 
particular characters. So like, ah, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. A 60s Marvel shows up and we can get rid of all the stupid crap that's happened since. But don't touch Iron Man. We can't touch Iron Man. Let, don't, let's not do it. To, but everybody else, yeah, absolutely. And everybody in the room had two or three different characters that they were worried about. And it's, again, it goes back to that earlier question of do you really want to invalidate years, decades of stories? But it was such a, a, you know, a daring and such an exciting idea that the ship would open and all the, you know, all, all, all the versions of the characters from when you were a kid or when the the people in that room were a kid, uh, can, you know, come <laughs> come come out uh, and and go look. It's it's us. You know, your childhood is back. All the all the stuff that ruined your childhood, none of that happened. It's it's us. We're back. Um, and and so that's kind of the the promise of that moment. Um, I look at it, you know, sort of after the fact, and I haven't really gone back and read secret invasion probably since i put it out i did not do any work for this i didn't didn't pull the trade or the hardcover out i haven't looked at it so all the stuff is is entirely from memory i do feel on a certain level that it that's a great moment that doesn't quite pay off to the extent that it should in that when you actually sit down and add up who came out of that ship that ended up actually being a character um, it's a relatively small list. Most of those guys are scrolls um, because they had to be scrolls, or and because uh, that was where things fell. Um, you know, and I think if if individual writers or editors had had their way, more of those characters would have been genuine, uh, and that would have been more legitimate. But it really would have made a mess uh, at the same time. So I'm not. I, I don't regret that it is what it is. Uh, I just feel like the the payoff on that on that setup is not as uh, uh, as good as it as it could have been. It's a great spread, though. Looks amazing. <laughs> oh yeah, Lado's yeah. terrific. I also love how this part, this ship here, we get the mirror of the the ship at the end um, with the actual one that has more of the people. And and I do understand what you're saying. The payoff is maybe not there, but like you know, the mockingbird of it all. And and the mirror of how that starts in the beginning with the the scroll mockingbird, and then we get actual Bobby at the end. There's yep. even if there's no like long term payoff to sit back and read it now the way we have or the way many of our listeners will maybe for the first time. I think it I think it's there and I think it lands and I think it's really really well done. Well, that's all just because Brian is very good at this and and very good <laughs> you know not only at, at kind of pushing everything forward which he would constantly, you know, do. Uh, and sometimes he'd, you know, he'd push at things that for one reason or another you couldn't do or, or he wasn't allowed to do. Um, but, you know, he's, he's, he's very good at, uh, you know, those emotional moments and getting inside the characters' heads and making you think and question what's going on. You know, the scene that Teeny was talking about earlier where, where Spider-Woman tries to convince Tony Stark that he's a Skrull um, you know, is is a is a is a crazy scene, but it's a scene that totally works because you, as the reader, aren't sure in that moment whether or not what she's telling you is real any more than the character is. So you know, you as the reader and the character are on the same footing and the same page, which is a rarity. Typically, either the reader knows more than the character or less um, because of you know whatever the story happens to be. Uh, and it's a rare case where both the character and the reader are equally wrong-footed for the duration of that 
conflict. And these are all things that Brian is very good and very adept at, at getting to. Uh, you know, the internal machinations uh, and emotional journeys of the characters, less so than the physical, you know, uh, uh, you know, punching and hitting stuff. It's not like he's terrible at the punching and hitting, but his his focus is always on the emotional uh, journeys. And, and that's the stuff that makes a lot of this uh, go, particularly once you get past the opening issue and into the, the actual guts and, and, and heart of the story. Yeah, that's kind of what I was going to say, like part of what I love so much about those that that span that 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 great like run of Bendis events is that like so many there were so many books during the that like kind of new Avengers E Civil War Secret Invasion Dark Reign arc that I was reading really religiously like two of my favorite books of all time X Factor and Invincible Iron Man we're both running through there um and there's a lot of stuff I was reading uh and it the those big like Bendis event books have that great feel of like it feels like everyone meeting up and you have that like kind of like Ryan and I were saying earlier that WrestleMania feeling of like oh crap everyone's gonna get together and they like I've been wait I've been wondering since so and so in their book did a how B was gonna react you know like so it's like they had that feeling of like not only are they gonna meet up to beat up the aliens and save the day but also when they meet up they're going to have to settle this score or they're going to work together, but they're going to have to deal with the fact that they broke up first, or they're going to have to deal with the fact that they aren't on the same team or that they, you know, whatever, like, like all of those um, great moments. Uh, and it like, it feels like it, I don't know, because the situations surrounding them are always so different. It never feels repetitive because like Bennett's is really good about being like, okay, this is about you and, you know, like civil war is about, you know, um, like choices, but secret invasion is about identity, you know? Um, and they each surround these things, like Tom said, that are really personal, but, and you know, it's just also to talk about secret invasion again as a horror book, like that's a real, it's really great horror writing that moment where you feel like I'm as scared as Tony. Um, and like, that's something that you see a lot in like horror movies and, and, you know, horror comics where you have that moment of relating entirely with the protagonist in pure fear. And like, it's, it's adrenaline inducing. It's exciting. It's <laughs> as exciting as reading anyone punch anyone else. You know, it's, it's, it's fully makes your heart pound when you read that stuff, even though it's just two people talking in a room, it's brilliant work and it's brilliant art. So you're like, I mean, that scene makes my heart pound. <laughs> <laughs> Teeny and Tom, I, I, it's funny as Ryan and I have been doing these reading clubs because we find that there's just so much to talk about, like in the lead up to these things actually happening. So just looking at the series at large, what moments come to mind in terms of being the most impactful, the most impactful to you, the things that you remember the most, your favorite moments, your favorite scenes, things like that. Um, uh, Tom, let's start with you. What, what, what comes to mind just <laughs> kind of in the broadest sense that way? You're asking me about a, about a, a book I did. I haven't looked at in 12 years. <laughs> um, so then in terms, in terms of, remember, in terms of yeah, making yeah, I, it, maybe I, I remember the, you know, I remember all of the, the stuff that's already been talked about, about the initial issue. I remember a, a bunch about the last issue. I remember bits and pieces you know, again, as you as you go through the the the, the different issues, um, and as stuff comes up, obviously I go, oh right, I remember that. Um, you know, again, most of the stuff that I tend to remember are tend to be my frustrations rather than the stuff that I thought was really great. So you know, just just sitting here thinking about it, I remember, oh, 
Right. Uh, on Mighty Avengers, uh, during this run, we did a run of, I don't remember if they were main covers or variant covers at this point, that were classic Marvel covers that had the characters as, as scrolls. Uh, and I remember that we did one, and, and I believe it was Marco Djurjevic who, who did it. Um, that was, it was a terrific piece uh, that, was, that was Ares. Uh, and it was Ares, but it was Ares as a, as a scroll, and it was the cover of Conan 1. And at the, last, <laughs> at the last minute, Legal came to me and said, oh, we can't do that because we don't have the rights to Conan anymore. And I went, but, 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 it's not, but the... And they said, nope, you can't. And so that, that cover has not seen print to this day. Um, I don't have a file. You know, I'm sure it, maybe it's archived somewhere. I don't have a file of it that's big enough to, to run or to use. But uh, so so I just ate that 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 poor cover. It's one of my one of the casualties of of war. One of the losses of the invasion uh, was this Marco Djurjevic piece. <laughs> um, so I remember stuff like that. That's not quite what you're what you're talking about. Um, no, no, that's that, that, that the the making of. Uh, I'm just as interested in uh, in terms in terms of the in universe stuff. I remember that you know Dan Dan Slot was writing. Uh, uh, Avengers: The Initiative, uh, and in one of the one of the meetings, you know, as people were jostling ideas around and so forth, uh, Brian, you know, very definitively, uh, but offhandedly, said, "Yeah, and then I'm going to wipe out all of the Initiative kids here." And Dan went away from that, going, "Oh my God, he's going to wipe out our," and he literally spent two or three issues of the initiative right before Secret Invasion, writing all of his main cast out and bringing in a whole new cast of characters with the thought that, well, if Brian's going to wipe them all out, he'll wipe out these guys, and then my guys will be okay. Uh, and ultimately, none of those guys got wiped out either, so suddenly he had twice as many characters he was dealing with. But it was absolutely a, a response to this, this sort of casual moment that became a, a, a bigger deal thing. Um, you know, so there's, there, there are a lot of little things like that where, uh, you know, pieces don't hang together or, or you know, people react or, or, or make choices on the fly. So I remember stuff like that, but, uh, you know, again, it's tougher even to tell where one issue leads off and, and the other one begins this, this long after the fact. Teeny, what comes to mind for you? Uh, in addition to that Iron Man scene I was gushing about, I guess uh, this is so obvious because this is kind of what I suggested for the thing. I guess I'll say the end. Uh, I love Norman Osborn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, not the very end, but the, I guess we're talking spoilers, the, the kill shot. Right. I always loved the fact that Norman Osborn took the kill shot. I love that it's like a frustratingly clean ending to a really complicated story. Um, and I just love everything that comes out of that moment. Like that, to me is just like one of my favorite upheavals of the Marvel universe. Uh, it made me, it, it's like what started me down my dark path of loving Norman Osborn as a character. Um, and I really, really do. I think he's one of the best villains. Um, and so I love, I love that moment. I love that it's the way it's played. It felt really, uh, it felt really like, and it still does feel really like of the time, but not in a way that's dated. It feels like, you know, sharp and 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 incisive and like a little 
he did, you know, Norman Osborn does it, you know, he, he does it for political reasons, <laughs> you know, he's, he's uh, a very, a very calculating dude. And it's a really great moment that out of these events of, uh, you know, moments of, you know, identity and allegiance and heroism and this and that and the other, that one of the big gets from it is this guy that's totally not a hero at all gets to be the hero for a little while. Um, so you get that moment of like, oh, good. Like the secret invasion is over. Things are going to go back to normal and the world is changed in terrible ways. Uh, I love it. That's that like, to me, that moment sets up so many of my favorite Marvel stories. It sets up the entire Norman Osborn versus Tony Stark arc, which is one of my favorite things of all time. Yeah, it's great. That's that's so mwah, chef kiss to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tini, I'm so glad you brought that up because I, I was think I love it too. And in a reread, this my reread here, one of the things that I absolutely loved is a small thing in his dialogue. At the it's the the kill shot happens at the bottom of a right hand page page flip and you see norman with the the rifle and his dialogue there he he just has a small stammer when he said in, in one of the words and the like you get, i got such a feeling of his like adrenaline and emotion and like the the whole sense of that scene is something so simple and so beautifully done in the writing and the pacing and the, that, that whole setup right there. I thought that was just pitch perfect. Yeah. And I think you can take that stammer and snowball it into, you know, the end of the first arc of dark rain of, 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 you know, everything that he, you know, hides and, and suppresses like you can that you're so right. Like that stammer, you can just roll that stammer downhill and that becomes dark Avengers and the cabal and all that stuff. Oh, so good. Love yeah, it's so good. Such good stuff. <laughs> Tom, you know what? You make some good comics. You and the the people you work with. So thank you for that. Well, you're well, you're welcome. <laughs> um, yeah, that kind of puts us at the end. Well, Tucker, you you asked the question. What what about you? What's your favorite? I think I was gonna say just at large. I agree the Norman moment, but just. It's, it's very striking now. You see the kind of undulations of these moments and um, these characters that have moments. That's something, Ryan, you and, talk, you and I talk about really often on the show is just like, oh, this character is for some reason having a moment right now. And it can be an extremely esoteric character. Obviously, that's not the case with Norman Osborn. But it's really interesting to look back here and see um, the gravity, the gravitational pull that he had and you know that moment and then exactly like Tini mentioned going into dark avengers going into kind of a whole bunch of other stuff and you know um there are there's a huge amount of of weight and focus and just just page numbers over the course of however long this is from here through dark avengers through siege through all of that stuff um uh that really revolves around this character and i think um, it's absolutely one of the highlights of like one of the kind of greatest, you know, most storied, longest lasting villains in the Marvel Universe to have this period where there was so much complexity built into the character and there's so much, um, there's just so much work that can be done with him. There's so much to play with. There's so much um, to analyze there. And I think that speaks to the strength of the character. And I think that speaks to the moment. I think that speaks to, um, you know, so much about what made all of this great is just being able, like Tini mentioned, to have these big 
action beats, action sequences, or something like that. And then you have these incredible dialogue scenes where you're getting to know um, a character. You're getting to know literally the addition, um, Ryan, like you mentioned, of one M and a dash, you know, in, in him saying make, make sure none of them weasel away is it's it 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 speaks to the strength of everything from that level of detail up to the biggest degree because uh because because it it can withstand that level of scrutiny and i think it's it's really really incredible yeah well yeah like sorry i said some more thing about norman osborne because i love him so much um (laughs) we're gonna talk about him a lot in the next episode (laughs) i know i'll save it most of it for the next episode but i'll leave on this um the 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 big thing i think that's so so cool about it is he gets such a genuine arc that's so so far removed because he is trying so hard to distance himself from the goblin so he it's not like he gets an arc about him trying to distance himself from the goblin he gets an arc about his arcs about totally different stuff he gets to go do all this different stuff but it does that thing again where it puts you in the same position as the character because you as the reader are reading this waiting for the other shoe to drop and it takes so so long before you see that he even still gives a shit about being the goblin at all. Like you have at this, at the time, like you, you convince yourself that he really is a different person, just like he's trying to do by the reveal at the end of dark rain uh, or dark Avengers one, which I will leave for next episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, That is a great way for us to just about wrap this up. I will just say before we leave Secret Invasion, one of my favorite things is at the end of issue number three when Fury shows up with the Secret Warriors and Laniel draws the biggest friggin' gun in the world. (laughs) I think about that gun like once a month because it's got this weird (laughs) bit of business on the, the, the bottom where it would be in like his shoulder. I just think it's beautiful and just absolutely bonkers and i it's amazing (laughs) with that said we're going to wrap up this episode but uh we are going to keep what a joy it was and always is to talk to tom and teeny two of the best uh part two of that conversation where like ryan mentioned earlier we dig into dark rain uh is available back in the pull list feed those episodes aired right at the end of april of this year and then right at the beginning of may so you can go back and check those out for the full experience but uh just the best time reading some of the best comics yeah, and note that uh, next week's episode will not be darker, and we're pulling a different episode from the archive for you. You'll have to stay tuned and find out what it is next week here on Marvel's Pull List. Nice. <laughs> Wish we had like some really cool music by uh, who's the the composer who's doing the Mandalorian. Uh, Ludwig Gorenson. Yeah. 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 We've got money in the budget. Let's get him <laughs> to yeah, do come some, on. some music for Producer us. Producer Jorge, let's come do on. it. <laughs> All right, we're getting the the no no no. Yeah, wrap it thumbs up, wrap down it up. on that one. Okay. So this episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Tucker Marquez, Jorge Estrada, and Mr. Daniel, with help from Megan Bagala. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio, and Brad Barton is Marvel's Pull List audio development manager. And once again, Brad is a scroll. He's a scroll. We've been saying it for months. People, catch up. Brad's family, especially. What are you doing? There's a Wait. strange alien in your house. Maybe they're squirrels. Oh, God, we got to go. I'm Ryan. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel. Your universe.